Okay, so we've been doing the um, Eightfold Noble Path, and it's called Noble because um, this is the path perfected by the Noble Ones, or the Aryas. The Aryas are those who have direct, non-conceptual perception of reality or emptiness. So this is the path that they follow to become Aryas, and this is the path they perfect as Aryas. Okay, that's why it's called Noble. You know, in the same way that when we say the four noble truths, it's actually four facts seen as true by the noble ones, seen as true by these aryas who have direct perception of emptiness. Okay. So we've um, talked about how the eight can be classified into three, which are the ethics, concentration, and wisdom. Okay, so the higher trainings in ethic, concentration, and wisdom. And then under ethics, which of the eight do we have? Speech, livelihood, and action. Okay. And then under concentration? Mindfulness and concentration. And effort can kind of go between concentration and wisdom. Okay. And then under wisdom, we have um, right view and right realization. So tonight I'm hoping to um, to talk about um, concentration, the, the right <coughs> concentration and the right effort. Um, so the concentration, this is also the word samadhi or tinnitin in Tibetan, means single pointedness of mind and Buddha Gosha defined it as the um, centering of the consciousness and its concomitants evenly and completely on a single point. Okay, so the consciousness, the mental consciousness, and then the mental factors that arise together with that particular mental consciousness, those are the concomitants, and that they are evenly and completely focused on a single point. So it gives, this gives you incredible flexibility of mind, uh, and the mind no longer is like a monkey jumping from one thing to another, but it has some control. So. The practice of samadhi or concentration isn't specifically itself, just the practice of samadhi, is not specifically a Buddhist practice. It's also done by people of other religions. I know the Hindus do it, maybe the Christians do, I'm sure others, others do as well. Um, and it was interesting, because His Holiness brought this up at the Western Buddhist Teachers Conference, that not every practice a Buddhist does is necessarily a practice only done by Buddhists. For example, this one on samadhi, that it's something that could be done by other religions. But what makes this a particularly Buddhist practice is the motivation and the other states of mind which, you know, under which this, this practice is done. And so the difference between a Buddhist practicing samadhi and a non-Buddhist practicing samadhi is the Buddhist is first of all doing it with refuge, you know, with entrusting their spiritual guidance to the Buddha Dharma Sangha and therefore having the goal of liberation or enlightenment. And so when the mind has that kind of motivation, 
you know, determined to be free of cyclic existence, aimed at liberation, aimed at enlightenment, then the practice of samadhi becomes a liberating factor. But without the refuge, without the determination to be free, without the motivation for liberation or enlightenment, then it's just regular old samadhi, and it doesn't necessarily even free you from cyclic existence. Because they say that we've all gotten, you know, we've reached these very high states of samadhi in what's called the form and formless realm absorptions. And we've even been born in the formless realm and remain blissed out in concentration for eons. Yeah. But because we didn't have the determination to be free, then we never bothered to check out the nature of reality. And so we never realized emptiness and thus we never purified our ignorance, anger, and attachment. And so when the karma to be born in these higher states ended, then, you know, again we fell down into lower realms of existence. Okay, so that's why this practice of concentration is so important to do it with refuge and with the, the proper motivation of the determination to be free or, or the altruistic intention to become a Buddha. That what, that's what makes the difference there. And the, the practice of concentration makes the mind a very fine and uh, receptive instrument which can then be used to understand all the other elements of the path. Okay? So, you know, we can see that when we try and meditate on love, sometimes the mind, it's very difficult to stay on love because the mind starts doing your shopping list, you know, it starts planning your vacation and all sorts of other things. Um, or we try and meditate on emptiness, and we just think of the emptiness of this refrigerator, you know. Because <laughs> the mind can't stay on the right kind of emptiness, okay. So this is why concentration is important, because it gives us some control over our mind, so that when we use that same mind to investigate the nature of reality, or to meditate on the kindness of others, or the suffering of others, then we can actually get somewhere in those meditations. Now, when I gave the, the, the whole section in the Lam Rim about calm abiding, it talked about five hindrances. Here, under the Eightfold Noble Path, it talks about another set of five obstructions. And there's some overlap, but there's some difference, so don't get confused, you know, if it doesn't match the other set of five exactly. Uh, and it, it's quite interesting to, to go through these three, because I think if we look, we'll, we'll find that, that we know them quite well. So the first of these five um, hindrances or obscurations is sense desire. Okay? The mind that's looking for happiness and sense pleasure. Yeah. The mind that's, when, when it's sitting there, thinks about your partner, thinks about your holiday, thinks about frozen yogurt, thinks about how you'd much rather have ice cream and how would it go with peach pie, and, you know, what you're going to spend your paycheck on, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Okay? So the mind that's really going to sense pleasure. The mind also, when you're trying to meditate, that starts humming and singing. You had that happen? Yeah, you're meditating and, you know, your favorite music starts going through your mind. So, that sense desire. The mind's going outwards, looking for happiness from an external object, which is an entirely fruitless pursuit. We've been doing it since beginningless time, looking for happiness from external things. And look where we are. 
you know? I mean, we're in the same place we still were a few hundred million lifetimes ago. We haven't really gotten anywhere. We've enjoyed a lot of sense pleasure, but, you know, it hasn't gotten us anywhere. Because they say all that pleasure is like last night's dream, you know, there and then finished. So the sense pleasure is a big obscuration to our meditation and an obscuration just even to Dharma practice to start with. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the big things that even keeps you from getting to teachings, especially in the summer. <laughs> now, lightness, life, so nice, take a walk, swimming. Yeah, so you can see the sense pleasure just pulls us completely away from the Dharma practice. So the way to combat that is meditating on impermanence, meditating on uh, death, okay, sobering the mind up. Um, also looking at the fact that none of these things can bring us lasting happiness. And it's quite, you know, interesting in our, mo- in our meditation, you know, we think of all these wonderful things we got in the past, and then just ask ourselves, well, what does it do for me now? And because we've all had incredible amount of pleasure in the past. You know? So we just kind of go through and, and remember those things and say, well, what did it really do for me? It doesn't have the ability to bring lasting happiness. And so when we check, you know, really using our own wisdom, then very naturally the attachment decreases. Now, some of you looked a little bit pained when I started talking about this. (laughs) I don't really want to give those things up, you know. I mean, come on, they make me happy. What am I supposed to be? What else is going to give me happiness if I don't get it from that? You know, and that's the whole the whole thing to really look at our life and ask us if ask ourselves if it does give us happiness. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with being happy. I mean, that's the whole purpose of the path. We should be happy. But let's see if following the sense pleasures gives us happiness, or if it just makes us completely berserky and dissatisfied. You know, always wanting more, always wanting better. Yeah, and let's check out what what real what real happiness comes from. Okay, then the second of the hindrances is ill will. Okay, so when we're not sitting there desiring this and that and the other thing, then we're often sitting there saying, I don't like this and get me away from that and that guy harmed me and I want to retaliate. And, you know, and, and we spend a lot of time in our meditation planning very efficiently how to get our revenge. How to tell somebody off, how to let them know that we're boss around here, how to, you know, hurt their feelings because they hurt our feelings, so whatever it is. And so just looking at that mental factor of ill will, that mind that's so tight, that's so tied in knots, that's angry. And sometimes we're angry at specific other people. You know, maybe we don't like our colleague or, you know, we don't like the cat or we don't like something else. Um, not my cat. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> so sometimes the ill will is, is against a certain person. Sometimes the ill will is much more amorphous. It's this kind of ill will against society. Ill will about you know, the military-industrial complex. (laughs) Really, we can generate tremendous amount of anger and hatred. You know, ill will towards the consumer mentality, ill will towards how we're being brainwashed 
you know, by the, the um, advertisements. And so we can have an incredible amount of just amorphous, generalized hatred or anger, resentment towards different elements in society in general. And that often also keeps us incredibly bound. It makes the mind very tight, very unhappy. Now, and then we can spend a tremendous amount of time in our meditation complaining. Complaining, that's one of my favorite things. Yeah, really try it. It's, <laughs> it's awful, but, you know, I'm kind of addicted. So, um, you know, especially, I mean, really, those of us who are addicted to complaining, you know, this is wrong and that's wrong. And so we can complain about people, we complain about society, we complain about the government, we complain about the people in the factories, we complain about Mars, we complain, you know? <laughs> I mean, we can think about anything to complain about, and it just, it doesn't get us anywhere. Yeah. So I'm not saying, you know, stuff that hatred down or stuff that feeling of despair down, but rather, you know, pull it up and look at it and recognize that it's useless and also try doing some meditation, seeing the kindness of others and the value um, that we've received from others, the benefit that others have given to us, how our whole life is dependent on them and how everything we have in our life and we have so many good conditions all come about due to the efforts of others. So although, you know, society certainly has a lot of room for improvement, if we just look at that side with a mind that, that has, you know, complaints and resentments, then we totally miss out on the other side of society, you know, where we've experienced so much um, good fortune and kindness. And like His Holiness was saying when he talked in, in Seattle, when, remember when he was commenting on the media? And he said, you know, if one person is murdered in Seattle, that gets the front page news. But all the people in the city who were helped that day, that doesn't even get put in the newspaper. And when you look around the activities in the city, it's just people helping people. You know? I mean, that's the predominant thing that we see. And so if we focus on that, then this ill will really decreases. Okay, then the third one. <laughs> Guess what this one is, folks. Come on. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Sloth and laziness. Okay. So the mind that just wants to lie down, go to sleep, and enjoy. Okay. So... The Buddha, um, in, in particular regard to, to this lazy mind, yeah, the lazy mind that says, my back hurts, my knees hurts, I, I better go lie down, yeah, I shouldn't meditate, it'll do me some big structural damage, I should <laughs> go lie down, <laughs> yeah. The mind that says, oh, I went to teachings all weekend, I need a break tonight, you know, I'm, I'm really exhausted from, from sitting in that chair and listening to teachings all weekend. I, I really need to, you know, sleep tonight. Um, okay, so the lazy mind. So the Buddha gave kind of different remedies for this in, in a progressive order. So the first thing he said when you have laziness come up is just try and ignore those thoughts. In other words, don't feed them energy. Yeah, they pop in the mind, but just don't feed them energy. Yeah, ignore them, let them go. If that doesn't work, 
Okay. <laughs> then um, do some recitation. Okay. Chant some mantra. Recite the scriptures. Recite the Heart Sutra. You know. And this often helps us get. You know. Um, get us. It gets us unlazy because we're chanting, and the chanting gives us a certain amount of energy. Especially if you chant out loud and you chant with a melody, it can energize you, help you overcome the, the laziness. If that doesn't work, then pull your ears. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, pull your ears and rub your limbs with the palms of your hands, okay? So give yourself a massage, you know, kind of hit yourself and slap your cheek and pull your ears. I mean, pull your ears, it's great, you know, it works. Okay, so get the circus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I'm gonna see everybody pulling their ears all night. <laughs> I got to stay awake in this teaching. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you know, kind of get the circulation in the body going. If that doesn't work, then get up, splash water on your face. Um, look around in all the directions and look up at the sky, okay? So stretch the mind out. Stretch the mind out. Look at far, far distances. Um, get the cold water on your face. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, if you're doing retreat, you might have a thing of cold water next to you because then you, don't, you can be really lazy and you don't even have to get up and get the cold water. <laughs> you can just sit there and splash. Um, if that doesn't work, Okay, then um, you can develop an inner perception of light. Okay, so you can visualize a very bright light here and imagine that that fills your body and mind. Or you can do the breathing meditation but exhaling the dark, heavy mind in the form of smoke and inhaling a bright, alert mind in the form of light and feeling that light fill your body and mind. Okay, if that isn't doing the trick, then um, walk around. Okay, but walk around not with your senses, you know, looking at, at every beautiful thing around. Try and control your senses, but really get up and walk and move the body. Maybe do, do some walking meditation. And if that doesn't work, <laughs> okay, then you can lie down and go to sleep. But when you wake up, you know, really wake up and make a very strong determination Know, to use your life wisely and to not just continually give way to the sleepy, lazy mind. Okay, so it's not just you know lying down and sleeping and saying, "Oh, good, now I got my way." But really, you know, knowing, okay, now it's really time to rest. But when you get up, say, "Now I'm going to be bright and alert, and I'm not going to just keep giving into the the mind that that is quite lazy." Okay, so those are some ways to handle the the laziness.